Welcome to Write Medicine, a podcast that explores the minds, motivations and practices of people who create content that connects with and educates healthcare professionals. I'm your host, Alex Housen, a former nurse, a medical sociologist and an education writer and researcher in healthcare. Join me to learn from education professionals about resources and tools of the trade and listen to stories about what drives them in the medical education field. If your work involves planning, designing or delivering education to healthcare professionals, this podcast is for you. The Ghostwriter is a political thriller written by Robert Harris, subsequently turned into a movie with Ewan McGregor, Pierce Brosnan, Kim Cattrall and Olivia Williams. It's an intriguing plot and highly enjoyable. Maybe you're familiar with it, but let's just say that the story doesn't end well for the ghostwriter. Maybe it never does. Ghostwriting has been a concept loaded with negative associations within medical writing circles for many years and refers to the practice of pharmaceutical companies, contract research organisations and other agencies having writers develop content designed for publication in peer-reviewed journals and other outlets without transparency, without acknowledging or disclosing the contributions of those writers. The work of organisations such as the American Medical Writers Association and the European Medical Writers Association has rightly helped to clarify a distinction between medical ghostwriting and professional medical writing assistance. The International Committee of Medical Journal Editors has also established well-defined ethics and parameters for authors, which requires acknowledgement of professional medical writing assistance. But today, we're talking about a different kind of ghostwriting. The kind that gets your business-to-business or business-to-consumer book or other materials out the door. My guest, Wendy Meyeroff, has been ghostwriting for many years and is here to share what she's learned about what it is, how it's changed, who can benefit from the support of a ghostwriter, and what to look for when you're thinking of hiring a ghostwriter. I'm your host, Alex Housen, and this is Write Medicine. Hello and welcome to Write Medicine. I'm your host, Alex Housen, and with me today is Wendy Meyeroff. Welcome, Wendy. Hi, Alex. Uh, Thanks for inviting me. It's fun to be here. Good to see you. Let's start by talking a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay, well, you asked how I got into ghostwriting. So what happened was, for 17 years I've been in Baltimore, but I will always truly be a New Yorker born and bred. And back home in New York, you've got a ton of writing possibilities. You have publishing houses, nonprofits, PR and ad agencies, and this list just keeps going, right? And I had gotten married. We needed a little more money. I answer an ad and boom, I walk into a trade publishing house. And when I teach succeeding as a magazine writer, nobody's heard of trade magazines. Medical writers will, but the average person and even the medical writers, a lot of my colleagues know the journal of whatever. But if you say graduating nurse to them, or healthcare informatics, that's not ringing everybody's bells, okay? 
So I walk in and there's this big tabloid on the executive editor's desk, the lady interviewing me. And I say, you published 2020? And it was for the opt. It still is. It's one of the few that's still out there. It's for the optical industry. It's the business side of the industry. And she looks at me and she says, you know this? And I said, yeah, my husband gets it. Because when I got married, Richard was still a New York State licensed optician. She says, have you read this? I said, well, I've looked through it. It's a nice publication. I like uh, the you have articles and not just sales pieces. Next thing I know, I was hired and I spent six years with them. And that's good training. But my dream, honestly, every medical writer or any writer has different dreams, whether it's a book or they always wanted to be in Smithsonian Magazine or wherever. Um, For me, it was the women's magazines that my mother had around the house, which were Family Circle, Good Housekeeping, things like that. And that's what I ended up writing for. I spent three years writing with Good Housekeeping. I wrote for Woman's Day an article Johns Hopkins pulled to use in the clinics on perimenopause. And magazines lead to newsletters. Newsletters led to the website in the 90s because we didn't have LinkedIn yet. It's hard for people to remember this, but we didn't have LinkedIn. We didn't have Indeed. People couldn't post ads and get 12 million writers to help them. They had to know about the American Medical Writers Association or the Council of Science Editors for the editing help or the Editorial Freelancers Association, which I have been with forever, ever since the beginning. I cannot praise EFA highly enough. And so they would post things to job banks, and that's how a lot of us got our freelance work. And so there you go. And I was writing all this stuff. And the next thing I knew, what I didn't know, technically, I was a ghostwriter because there are at least two definitions nowadays of a ghostwriter. So before you get into definitions of a ghostwriter, in answer to the question, who are you and what do you do? You're a writer. What kind of writing do you focus on? I am not a clinical writer, although I did spend three years helping New York Presbyterian. I wrote for the Neuroscience Newsletter. It is clinical material, but it's not journal stuff. You have to take the journal stuff, interview the lead clinician, and then turn that into newsletter length of about, what depends on it was a primary or a secondary feature. So it could be anywhere from 600 to 750, and the longer ones were up to 1,500 words. So there was that kind of work. What do you focus on now? Now it's mostly anything on the business side. So I could be talking to a psychologist who wants to write a self-help book. I could be interviewing business leaders on how to establish your electronic health records system. My main areas are anything in health. I can cover almost anything. I've never covered things like HIV for some reason, but I have covered almost every other type of clinical issue. I have a specialty of the aging America. I started covering that 20-something years ago before most people were paying attention to the growing boomer market. Um, I have been a marketing consultant and a marketing person. So it's not just regular articles, it's blogs and informatics and case studies, white papers, anything that needs a good storyteller. 
And you mentioned that one of the things that you might do now is help people who want to write their own book, but yes. don't necessarily want to write it themselves. So that probably takes us into ghostwriting territory. Yeah. Can you describe for the audience what ghostwriting is? Because for a lot of people, ghostwriting has a bad rap. I'm not sure why. Maybe because they've never known a ghostwriter who comes out of the class I'm finishing. It's a almost a little over a one-year certification. And the first part is Introduction to Ghostwriting. And it's by a lady. She has been at this 30-something years. You'll never have heard her name because she believes in the real definition of a ghostwriter. We keep our mouths shut and we never, even after the author's gone, unless we get permission from the estate, you don't hear who Charlie Smith and Jane Doe's ghostwriter was. So her name is Claudia Suzanne, and she is amazing. And she teaches this 13-month certification. It is the only certification for ghostwriting in the world, okay? So as I say, I'm about to graduate. And what I have been through, everybody who's, I've interviewed her graduates, because I also help her with the marketing, to be honest with you. But I don't praise her just because she's a client. I have interviewed her graduates. One is making 100000 a year. She says, on average, you start at $35,000, $40,000 per book. We don't do it for five or 10000 because we, a true ghostwriter, really garners your voice. They don't just clean up the copy. They see what's really missing, what has to be revitalized. She teaches a whole segment called musical line editing because she comes from a musical background. She wants it to sing as you go chapter to chapter, line by line. What's going to keep you moving? Because, you know, we'll glance at the first chapter of a book when we're in Barnes and Noble when the day comes. Well, we can now go back into Barnes and Noble. (laughs) You know, you can't do or you could do it on Amazon. You know, you can click on whatever they call it and you can read the first two, three, four pages. How much do you like this? If the author doesn't grab you and keep you and that's a task to keep you chapter to chapter, you know. So that's what a good ghostwriter has to do. Okay, now, I always give clients and potential clients another definition because there's two other areas you can now work in. One is not a traditional book. Not everybody has to be published by Simon & Schuster and places like that anymore. Mm -hmm. You can self-publish. Sure. And then you'll need the ghoster even more because you will not have an editor like people I've known who were at Simon or other places, Wiley or whoever, and then they set up their own businesses. So those are people who've been trained. If you're going to self-publish, you won't get those kinds of people. You have to start looking us up. People hear about Claudia's grads basically through word of mouth. We, we just get around. Some of us are up on LinkedIn and you'll see my, I have a website about some of my work in ghostwriting and my work overall. I'm actually setting up my ghostwriter who grabs attention, separate website that'll be out in another few months. But for now, you can find about my ghostwriting on my website, which I'll tell you right now is WMMedcom, M-E-D-C-O-M-M. So it's WMMedcom.com. Dot com. So it's like medical communications. 
Sure. So you've you've mentioned a few things there that I'd like to kind of dig into a little bit. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, you talked about, you know, one of the main places where people might use ghostwriters is in book publishing. So I want to talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit. You mentioned the training, but I, I'm still not clear. And maybe it would be helpful for listeners to get a definition of what ghostwriting is. It's the person who takes over your voice. That's key. The person who takes over your voice and gets a book truly developed and refined so it's going to appeal to the market you're targeting. And even a good ghostwriter, when we do what we call an A&R, an analysis and recommendation before we get started, and that is something you get charged for, but we go through your manuscript. We come back to you and say, okay, this is the pot of gold we see that we can refine your book to convey, okay? And what if you don't see a pot of gold? (laughs) You know, that's the question that comes up all the time. And we have fun in Claudia's class because she says there's a pot of gold in everything. It can be really hard to find, but that's what our job is as the ghostwriter. We have to take the mush and turn it around. We have to be able to say, okay, If we make this work or when we make this work, you have to go in with that positive attitude. Now, we will also figure out where is it likely to sell. We might have to tell the author, first of all, there's three different levels of books. There's nonfiction, there's fiction, and then there's memoirs, which really goes across both. Because it turns out, I know I can never write a fiction book. I am not going to be able to help with a book on centaurs or whatever. So even if you're uh, in healthcare, but your dream has always been to write the next Star Trek novel, or you're not getting me for help, okay? I'll refer you to people. So that's fiction. And you have to be able to help them refine the characters. You have to help them dig deeper for what's going to work in the background. If you're creating a whole new planet, your ghostwriter, because a lot of authors have not done this kind of in-depth work. They send you 50,000 words and think they're done. And is this an increasing trend, do you think, that people are looking for ghostwriters more now than perhaps a decade ago? Oh, yes. Yes. We keep finding... They're not only coming for fiction, but there's the other two areas they're coming into. In nonfiction, you've got the business leaders, and a lot of them are big muckamucks, and they think they've got the next great book about how to succeed in business without really trying or whatever. Then you've got the folks who are writing in healthcare. We've got tons. There's a tool we use as ghostwriters. It actually shows you. It gives a special code for books of different categories. And if you just try and pull up health, forget it. You got 40,000 books. First of all, you got every clinical topic God ever created, osteoporosis, diabetes, whatever. So are you doing diabetes? Okay. Are you doing recipes for diabetes? Are you talking self-help? Are you talking weight loss? Are you talking, I mean, you can keep going. That's just the clinical side. Mm-hmm. And there's self-help books and there's, I, you know, I don't even know, maybe there's the history of medicine you've always wanted to write or something. So that's the nonfiction side. Mm-hmm. You got the fiction side and what hurdles in between the two are memoirs. 
because memoirs have to be honest and real stories. You're not making them up totally. But if someone's doing a memoir of how their family survived the Civil War, I mean, they're obviously not talking to somebody about, gee, Granny, how did you survive? Right. So maybe they have their great, great, whatever grandma's notebooks, you know, or love letters or something. Mm -hmm. And that will give you some. But you may have to flesh out a background. You know, if this family survived it at some major city like Philadelphia. Well, what was Philly like in 1863? Okay, and you as the ghostwriter probably have to be able to grab the sounds, the smells and so forth. So your one foot's in the fiction side and the other side's on the nonfiction. It has to be accurate side. So the memoir writer has a real challenge. If anybody's thinking of medical memoirs of any kind, it's going to be the roughest area of ghostwriting you can possibly take. Okay, just to be honest. What kind of writer do you have to be in order to find your way into ghostwriting or have the skills to develop a ghostwriting portfolio? Well, I think medical writers, like a lot of established writers, but maybe medical more than most. And I'll say health writers, because to me, a medical writer stopped in many ways calling myself a medical (laughs) writer because I'm more on the business side and the consumer side. That's the worlds we call B2B, business to business. So you're talking to trade people and B2C. So you're talking to everybody's yelping now. It never used to be respected. Taking the high-end clinical stuff and turning it into plain language. I spent, I think it was six months as the interim marketing director for the Center for Plain Language. Most medical writers, in all due respect to those listening, you are not good plain language people. And if you're going to write any kind of book, you've got to get the academic mindset and the language out of your brain. You've got to bring it down. And I remember when I used to be a member of AMWA, but they did not respect plain language and OTC, over-the-counter meds. They only worked with the RX side and mostly on the clinical, you know, regulatory and all this kind of stuff. They didn't write plain language for hospitals and their patients or for, you know, the websites that were exploding. I wrote for the AMA's first website and I helped them design, redesign it because they were not making sense to people reading on a screen. It was a lot harder back in the day. So you have to be able to bring it down to the right language, first of all, and decide which area are you going to go into? Are you, I mean, there are still academic books out there. But I don't know any training for helping with good academic books. Claudia's work is all for students who want to help on the business side, like how to do whatever, or in this fiction and memoir stuff. So you've got to get your brain refocused. Right Medicine is brought to you today by Breathing Space. When you're glued to a keyboard, your body pushes back, often with headaches, wrist, arm or back pain, or fatigue. Sound familiar? Breathing Space offers consistent, short and simple breath awareness, movement and myofascial release techniques you can practice at or away from your desk to help you relieve tension in your body, enhance focus and manage stress. Bonus! 
You can connect with others who work from home or long hours at the keyboard, including writers, creatives, and educators. See the show notes for membership details. Breathing space. Optimize energy, boost creativity, and find balance in your body, heart, and mind. So uh, you mentioned medical writers a few times, and I'm not sure how many medical writers are listeners of uh, okay. Right Medicine. There's a lot of healthcare educators out there. So thinking about education in healthcare, where might ghostwriting fit in there, do you think? Well, it depends if the educator wants to help train other people and they have one of these how-to type books and then what kind is it is it just regular classes like you and I teach and the educators can be teaching like you know how to make better websites or whatever I mean that I could turn into a book in fact I did I wrote web 1.0 for the EFA it's an ebook and that again what kind of book do they want to write so there's a traditional book that's 150, 250, 300 pages, you try not to get much beyond that, really. This is not the days of Norman Mailer or whatever, where you'd have six, seven, 800 page <laughs> books. So you've got to think smaller. And it depends what your goal is as a writer and what you want from the ghost, or if you want to be the ghost. Two different things. What do you want from the ghost? Do you just need help refining it, bringing it all together, or you want to be the ghostwriter, the greatest challenge of all, I think, in ghostwriting, and it's my greatest difficulty, I admit, you have to be a lot more polite, okay? You can't just say, boy, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. (laughs) You can't really do that in any business. I mean, if you're going to be a writer or a marketing consultant or an editorial aid of some kind, developmental editor, copy editor, proofreader, whatever, and you want a real business, you've got to be much more polite with the clients. I will never be as great as a lady I know named Sheila Buff. Sheila is a ghostwriter, and she worked with Simon & Schuster, if I remember correctly, and she was Dr. Atkins' ghostwriter, and she was so good, she became his co-author, so she got her name around, okay? She is the most polite human being you will ever, but she knows how to steer you while she's being polite. And that is a really strong talent because you've got to be able to say, if it's just a bunch of glop, you can't say that to the client. You have to say, you know, I found something and I'm not sure you even realized, you know, that there's three key markets you could be reaching, but you would have to be willing to make some changes. Oh, really? You know, that kind of verbiage has to be going on. So what kind of, um, and thank you for sharing how you balance diplomacy with candor. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what kind of people do you see as clients for ghostwriters? You know, what do your clients look like? Who uses ghostwriters and how do they find them? Well, who uses can be anybody. As I say, if you want to write a memoir and is the memoir just for your family since the pandemic, that's becoming even more of a trend. And it was already increasing the year or so before the pandemic. But now people are thinking, you know, uh, we can't be sure how much time we ever have. I want 
my folks to understand such and such. Okay. And Mm -hmm. it's not your lifelong history. It's whether it's how I made it through the pandemic or whether it's what truly made me the success you think I am and how much harder it was. All right. So you got all these memoirs. And then there's anything else. If you think you've got the right story about the next great diabetes diet and what's going to make yours better or easier or whatever, you know, but it pays for the author to do a ton of research, not just whip out the book. Before you even whip out the book, my suggestion is you do a quick paragraph or whatever of what you want to get out there. What's your message? Okay. This is especially important in nonfiction. I'm not sure how, and honestly, as I say, I'm not a fiction person, so I'm not sure how well this would work for fiction. So any kind of nonfiction, whether you're a nonprofit, whether you're writing certain business information, whether you want to get the word out on a better diet, a certain aspect of self-help, whatever, okay, write down a summary of what your message is, all right? Whether you do it online or you take, make an excuse to get out in the world and get to Barnes & Noble or your local bookstore and or see- how about a library? <laughs> the, oh, yeah, the library. Well, I, no, we can't. I don't know what it's like by you, but here in Baltimore and anywhere in Maryland, you can't go into the library. Oh, I mean in a, a post-COVID world. Oh, yes. Well, one of these As days, definitely. You're <laughs> right. That's probably why I forgot them, though. Uh, but you could look at the library's, you know, catalog. My husband and I, in all due respect, we were just missing the New York Public Library. So <laughs> there are things we cannot research in all due respect in the Baltimore library system. But so look at what's out there because you need to know what competition is. You may think you have the world's greatest idea about XYZ and there's 20 other books. Well, okay, God knows how many books there are about how to succeed as a writer. So, you know, I've written books. And mm-hmm. I've gone through that process of, you, you know, you've got to research the market first and figure out what's out there so you're not replicating the same stuff. But doesn't someone come to you or come to a ghostwriter wanting you to do that work? Or do you insist that they do that work first? No, we don't insist on it. It's nice if they do. You asked what would help them. And I'm telling you what will help them. But that doesn't mean, heck, I have never had this experience, but Claudius tells the story where she has had some upper echelon executive who knows he's got the next greatest idea on how to sell munchkins for a living. I have no idea. And she'll spend hour on the phone with him. And it turns out he's never written it. He's going to detail it for her. He'll, he'll have two, three conversation. That's all he can manage. He's a very busy world leader. So now you figure out the rest. And guess what? Yeah, the contract has her writing it all. She learns his voice from the recordings they've done together, does all the research. You know, she'll outline it, send it back. Does he approve the outline? These are going to be the chapters month by month. Sends in the first chapter, comes back, they modify whatever and keep it going for their eight month, 12 month. If it's a regular book, it's on average an eight month project. Okay. And you don't sign the contract month by month by month. It's, hey, this is going to be your fee. 
we get X amount here, we get X amount there, and there you go. And so you talked about voice a couple of times. I'm curious, you mentioned that when you're the ghostwriter, it's not your voice. It's the voice of the person whose idea and messages you're trying to convey. Doesn't that ever tick you off? <laughs> I would say tick off, but it is, it's very hard. The book I'm working on right now has to be, and I admit this is the fiction one that I'm doing for class. So I don't care and I'll never, I've had it sent back to me by my teachers four times because I cannot capture his voice. I'm turning his character into what sounds like a brassy New Yorker. I didn't know I sounded like a brassy New Yorker, but that's what I've been told. I never knew I had a New York accent. And now everybody says, oh, yes, you do. All right. Okay. (laughs) So his lead character is supposed to be a Southern Californian. And not only a Southern Californian, it's a guy and I'm a gal. So you know, what if you're a male ghostwriter and you've got to take over a woman's voice? So it can be, we have to get past a lot of the people who come from regular writing. We're trained in AP style. We're journalists. Okay. And so, yes, you capture the voice on a tape recorder, or I use freeconferencecall.com, which I love, or Zoom or whatever. If you have a good transcriptionist like mine, You get it transcribed, you lift the quotes that are good, you clean them up in terms of, you know, they flow nicely or, you know, we don't speak the way you're supposed to write. So you clean up the copy and make it read well. Um, And that's it. As a ghostwriter, you have to really get their emotions and you have to push a little harder. If the business person just says, and so... The way I succeeded was because being stubborn made sure that I always got X, Y, Z done on time. That's not enough. I mean, I got amazing answers. I'm very proud to say of a former president of the United States. Bush 43 was pushing the party drug plan and I had a client and I had to go see him face to face at a big town hall meeting. And he knew he had to call on me. So I stand up and I will tell you, Alex, I rehearsed the whole night before because I've interviewed senators. I've interviewed internationally renowned doctors and all sorts of amazing. But a president and face to face in front of a crowd. (laughs) So I said, so, Mr. Prez, and I actually used his mother in part of it. And when I said, my mother heard I might be interviewing you and she insisted on a couple of questions and you may know what it's like, sir, to have a very strong-willed mother. And he fell over laughing. And he said, what are your mother's questions? And I, I asked him two solid questions that nobody, and he'd been interviewed by ABC and the Wall Street Journal and God knows who else, and nobody asked these two questions. And That's what I'm very proud of. That's what I got from my training. Not everybody does it that way. They just take the recording or their and their transcripts, they pull it out and think they're done. You want to be a true ghostwriter, a really in-depth ghostwriter. If you just want to do the, you know, that kind of work and learn how to do it in a six-week class, you know, right? You'll get the basics. So can you give some examples of books that have been ghostwritten by people that you know? (laughs) I can't uh, because I told you about Sheila's work with Dr. Atkins. Those I know. Okay. But nobody else 
tells me there's there's a fellow you can look up and his name is Derek Lewis. Derek is one of Claudia's grads and he's the one who makes a zillion books sing. So you could look up DerekLewis.com. Um, and I, I think it's Lorraine Ash. I'm pretty sure LorraineAsh.com. I believe Lorraine is an amazing memoir writer. She's another of Claudia Suzanne's graduates. I mean, what she does, she had a terrible thing happen in her life. She wrote a story about it. She got to present it at a national meeting. And the next thing you know, people were crying in her arms practically saying, can you write my story? Because I lived through something like that. So she's been busy. And she knew, even though she had a writing background, she wanted to be really trained because the ghostwriting class teaches you negotiation, what your responsibilities are and aren't, and that sort of thing. Most things don't go that in-depth into the business of ghostwriting. Well, let's talk about that training a little bit. You know, what does it involve? You've already mentioned it takes a long time. Yeah, as I say, it's Claudia Suzanne's Wamby Tack class. So you have the six-week intro to ghostwriting on ghostwritertraining.com you sign up for. And that teaches you the very, very basics, even things like the Chicago Manual of Style. I was never trained in CMS. A lot of you take it for granted if you're medical writers and health writers and science writers. I wasn't, I learned the AP style book. That's the Associated Press. That's what we use for journalism. So it's a whole different thing. Page setup bunch of other stuff but so it's a six-week class and then the rest of the ghostwriter it's gdpd ghostwriter professional designated program something like that but it's it's ghostwritertraining.com and that's the rest of the class i'll include all the details that you said there but i'm, I'm curious what was your experience of taking the course and what did you learn it is amazing. It is hard. And every one of her graduates I've interviewed, they say this, it is not easy. And she doesn't teach it all by herself. She has a team of her teachers come on in. There's a system where you can make appointments with your teachers in between classes. So if you're really struggling, you can get a 15-minute session. You can get a nearly one-hour session. Okay, It doesn't cost you anything extra. That's all factored in. So you can get all sorts of help and you learn what your best skills are, what you're not so good at. One thing she stresses, because one of my classmates this year even said, you know, I don't know how I'm going to be all ready to go when we're finished with class in July. She says, you don't do it that way. We find somebody in our stack who's waiting for a ghostwriter. We assign one of our, either one of our teachers or one of our graduates, and they work with you. And the author understands they're getting two people reviewing their material. So you learn again how to do a real life book, because we're not doing whole books in class. You get one nonfiction book and you get one fiction book. And you learn the basics during the first half of that bigger class. And then you learn to refine it even further in what she calls musical line editing. And that's another section of class. And the last six weeks, if I remember correctly, are all about the business of ghostwriting. And she insists that we team up with classmates and we work on each other's books because 
you can't do it all by yourself. You need to have support. You need to see people who are getting as screwy as you are. You know, so she she never makes you feel like a failure. She will ask you. And I was asked a number of times when I had so much trouble with the initial part of the fiction work. Are you sure you want to stay in on this? Are you sure you can carry it through? She won't force you to go out, but she wants to make sure you're going to be happy. And we've had, I think, two people quit this year. And she says that's not unusual. Some people figure, oh, why bother with this? And you mentioned that she has a stack of clients waiting for a match with a ghostwriter. How do people who want to write a book and work with a ghostwriter find ghostwriters? They can look at Claudia, go to wambitac.com, W-A-M-B-T-A-C.com. And that's one way. Now that we have LinkedIn and ghostwriting whoosiewatsy.com, you can look for those people who's discussing what, you know, online we, we say things like, well, you know, I just got my latest client in aeronautics or whatever. Join a writer's group. I was just lecturing a Virginia group of writers on plain language. Before that, it was the Military Writers Society of America. And they, because they're military All of them have had careers, or almost all. I'm allowed in because I'm the spouse of a veteran. And they are amazing people. I just heard the lecture by a lady. She's a retired colonel, and she helps you put together your own book. And she gave us the first of four lectures she's doing, because they're short 15-minute segments. So the first was, how do you get the book to look right, especially if it's an ebook and people are going to be downloading it. So here I am with two ebooks I thought ready to go. And I said, oh, okay, I got to change the fonts because of what Dawn just told me. All right. So you find groups like this. There are a million groups and now they're far easier to find than when I started 30 years ago. You punch in the kind of writing, editing, whatever that you want. And is that what clients are doing? Yes. A lot of it's word of mouth. One of the ladies I interviewed, she's another graduate. I think she does a lot of business books, okay? And she's up in Massachusetts, if I remember correctly. Folks come to her from places like MIT and wherever. And I said, how do they find you? And she said, the word just gets around because Charlie gets this book done. And then Jennifer says, well, how did you get your book done? And... There you go. And especially now, I'll add in ebooks. We mentioned these briefly at the beginning, but because ebooks are so short and sweet, they take, mm, I'd say, four to six weeks instead of an average of eight months. So if you want to be going around and you must be willing to do your own marketing, ghostwriters do not do your marketing. Okay. Agents very rarely really do your marketing. You're going to have to find radio stations, and I highly recommend radio. I never knew this myself, but I did suggest don't forget radio as a topic to the American Society of Journalists and Authors a few years ago, and they accepted it. I put together the panel, and I learned amazing things about how influential radio still is as our main medium. And now it's easier. You do what you and I are doing. You don't even have to do it with the image, but you can. It can be just a, you know, microphone. And you talk into your desktop 
Yeah, if you have a headset that's nicer, they've got sound engineers, they filter things out. And so you can do radio interviews, you can do podcasts, you can do TV. If you have an ebook, you're seen as an authority figure. It seems like everybody's writing an ebook these days. I'll be honest, I've got two almost ready to go. But as I say, since I took the military writers event this past weekend, I know I have to clean up uh, how it's laid out. So, and that's tricky. All these tricks you have to learn if you're either going to be the author or you're going to offer the services of a ghostwriter, self-publisher, editor, whatever. It's not as easy as people think. Oh, well, I spent 20 years at XYZ Publishing House, so I can be an editor. Editors, I think, get it a little easier. Their skills are so precise. I will never do the kind of true line editing in academics that I've seen some EFA members do. We have one lady, she's a medical editor, and not only has she been renowned for more than 30 years now, she has a specialty of helping medical science folks for whom English is their second language. And so they're getting the words in the journal properly or into a textbook It's heck. And her name's Catherine O'Moore Klopf. It's really hard. K-L-O-P-F. She is a genius. Um, If you need a medical editor, especially you have a foreign language. Oh, I cannot rave about Catherine enough. She did not grow up, you know, starting in the 21st century. She's like me. She goes back a little bit. And she became one of the great Twitter expert. She won awards with what she's done with copy editing on Twitter. Editing is a very precise skill set. It's interesting when people say they're editors and they clearly haven't had any training. We were kind of wrapping up there talking about how clients can find ghostwriters. How can listeners of Write Medicine find you? Okay. Well, my website, I'll mention again, I mentioned it briefly before, but uh, you can look me up on www, of course, dot wmmedcom, M-E-D-C-O-M-M dot com. So it's wmmedcom dot com. You can email me, and that's probably the best way for you to find me is directly through WJ, and the last name is Meyerhoff, M like Mary, E-Y, E-R-O-F-F. So it's wjmeyeroff at gmail.com. And though I'm in Baltimore, I have worked with clients around the world and across the U.S., of course. And that was when we just did it by phone. Since then, we've got Skype. We've got Zoom. We've got Google Chat. We've got God knows what. And if you want to be interviewed, Um, I just posted an interview I did with a guy, Mark Agnew, founded eyeglasses.com just at the end of the 20th century. And because I have the background with 2020 magazine and then I helped launch envision.com and other things, Mark and I had fun chatting. So if you want a profile, I put them up on LinkedIn and I put them on my blog and that might inspire you with how you could get started and what would be important for you to convey to people. So, you know, contact me at wjmeyeroff at gmail.com. 
Wendy Myroff. Thank you so much for telling us about your experience as a ghostwriter. Well, thank you so much for having me, Alex. You're a joy to talk with. Thank you. If you didn't know about the world of ghostwriting before this episode, I think you'll agree that there's a lot to mull over here. If you need a writer to help you write a B2B or B2C book or other materials, you can learn more about how to hire a ghostwriter at Wendy's website, to which I've included a link in the show notes, as well as to Claudia Suzanne's website, ghostwritertraining.com. Even if you're still on the fence about the value and credibility of ghostwriting, Wendy shares a wealth of detail about the craft of writing, its role in educating audiences, examples from ghostwriters who work in particular genres, like memoir, and a long list of resources on tools of the trade and where to find training. As ever, thank you for spending this time with me and Wendy. I'd love to hear what you think. You can email me or write a podcast review. We're taking a break here over at the podcast and we'll be back in early March. If you'd like to stay in the loop for updates on season three, join the Right Medicine community. There's a link on how to do that in the show notes. And as a thank you, you'll receive downloadable bonus content from season one of the show. Until next time, I'm your host, Alex Housen, and this is Right Medicine. Right Medicine.